Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. All right, so clearly uh, lots of our listeners not being convinced, uh, at least with the protest. I'm going to wait until tomorrow, see the actual numbers um, before I, I have a view on, on whether or not I think it will be successful. Brian, are you going to be out in the streets tomorrow? No, because I was out in the streets in London last week because they had a one-day tube strike, a one-day bus strike, and a mm-hmm. one-day over-railed strike. And it does, I, I agree with that last caller. It's not going to make any difference mm-hmm. because, you know, if you're going to strike for wages or, or better better working conditions, then you've got to make it me- meaningful. But one day, it just, alien, just upsets people, and it actually turns people against strikers because of the, because they are, in, 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 in a way, put out. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. You know, just, I experienced that in London last week. And, 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 and what was it, the kind of turnout in London last week? Well, people just didn't go to work. People couldn't get to work. Yeah. I mean, you know, if the trains, you know, the, uh, here in South Africa, our, trans, tra- our um, individuals, or, um, workers, six, over 67% are transported by taxis. In the UK, more than 80% make use of the underground. So if you don't have those facilities and the buses, you've got no way of getting to work. Mm. But, you know, I think over the last number of years, we, a lot of us have got used to actually working from home. You know, when, when we think about it, when COVID first started and we all went home and we started working from home, it was so strange. But after a year or after that period of time, we, we actually got used to it. So I'm not sure, you know, what, 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 the, what these... Uh, I think it's important to bring the problems forward, but I don't know what, uh, what, what, it, what it will do. Yeah, look, it's interesting because uh, just just speaking about um, the trains, uh, the the unions, both SAFTA and Kosatu, were saying that tomorrow's turnout may be affected by the fact that um, our trains aren't well functioning. So um, there may be people who would have wanted to be part of the protest but simply have no way of, of give, getting there. They will be subsidizing some transport, but uh, not able to meet the scale of, let's say, a protest they held back in 2018. Nonetheless, that is going to be part of our news for tomorrow. For today, Brian, um, we are looking at investing, but most importantly, the issue of emotions. How to keep emotions out of investing, which is a very difficult thing to do because I I actually think that money and emotions are intertwined and how people spend their money has a lot to do with um, where they're at emotionally and has a lot to do with the ability to exercise discipline even sometimes over one's emotions. Yeah, look, when we talk about emotions, I mean, everything you do, you've got a certain amount in your to spend, and emotions very much come into it when prices are rising. You're spending more than you actually know that you have. You know you're getting into debt. You know the problems you're having. That's the emo- that, that is the daily type of emotional side. But the one thing, one area where you must not allow emotions to enter your, your decision-making process is when you're investing. And the one reason I say that is because people need to understand when you buy life insurance, when you're buying disability insurance, and when you're investing, why you are doing it. And if you don't understand, if you're convinced to do it, but you don't fully understand the reason, then you, that's where emotions come into the thing. I mean, I look at my role. My role is very much starting as what I would call a financial advisor. 
and I give advice and some people take my advice and some people listen and they go elsewhere for advice and then they make their, then they make their own decisions. That's stage one. Stage two is many people say, be my nanny. Tell me what to do. I don't understand all these options. I don't understand all the jargon. So help, just be my nanny and tell me what to do. That's the most dangerous because, you know, people don't have long-term memories about what you may have shared with them. So they ask you, what must I do? You say, this is what you're doing. This is why you're doing it. This is the period you're doing it for. But some days later, people have forgotten that reason. And then when they see things go wrong, that's when the emotions start to enter into it and it's that group of individuals who then need much more what we call the financial psychologist you know it's convincing them and reminding them why you made these investments why you bought life insurance to protect the family and the emotions enter it because of the ignorance you know it is about the more knowledge you have the more empowered you are the less knowledge you have the less empowered and therefore so many people make decisions at the very wrong time at the worst time i've got some statistics here which are very interesting sure if you look at the market from 2000 and 2008 the american market the smp there were 2528 trading days and if you had been in the market for that 2528 days in other words you'd invested and kept your investment and that allowed the fund manager to make moves but you hadn't drawn out because of panic you would have got a 17 and a half percent return compound. Now I'm working backwards, I'm not talking forward. If you've been out of the market for the 10 best days, so let's assume you panicked, you sold, and then a month later or two months later you went back into the market, but you missed the best 10 days. You would have got a 12% annualized return, and if you missed the best 40 days. Now, our markets hit lows towards the end of June. We are now 40 days since the end of June. And if you'd been in that, been out of that market in that period for those 40 days when the market picked up, because all global markets have picked up 10 to 15%, you would have got a 3.9% return by trying to time the market. Mm -hmm. And in the next period of 2013 to 2021, you would have achieved a 10% return in the market if you'd been fully invested. And if you'd been out the best 40 days, you would have lost over that eight-year period 6%. So what I'm trying to say, emotions when it comes to investment plays such a big part of your investment strategy. And so understand why you're making an investment, what period you're making an investment for. And I've always said, if it's short term, one to three years, then stick to money market account. I mean, today, you know, five-year investment in a government bond, you'll get 11%, although that is taxable. So depending on your tax rate, the banks today on one year are paying 7 or 8%. So short-term money, you can get a lot more interest. Mm. But for the long term, all I'm saying is to us, so many people who invested in Satrix Fund, Insignia Funds, who've gone into unit trusts and they've got a long term, they forget it. That's when you need this financial psychologist. And so this morning, my role is to those who are worried, those who are panicking, but you have a long term time horizon and you're looking for growth. Do not make changes. You need to have someone who's actually telling you where and showing you where to invest, which funds you should invest, how much you should have onshore, how much you should have offshore, and so on. But certainly for people who are saving for younger children for the long term, 
seven, eight, nine, ten years. Don't change your strategy. Don't chop around because you're reading the news, you're listening to the radio, or you're watching television because mm. everything is negative. I mean, it's all about negative, and it's that emotional negativity that allows you to make the wrong decisions. Brian, you know, you've mentioned panic and anxiety quite a number of times. Is that the, the key reason why people change their minds on certain investment decisions? Well, the, the, no, the first reason is their budgets. Mm. Their budgets get out of control and they suddenly start saying, where can we save money? And then they start thinking, well, do I really need to be paying this life insurance? Do I need to be paying all these things? Do I nearly, really need to be making those savings? Well, if you're making these investments and you've got these benefits, you do need them. So you need to look elsewhere. So the first, but then it does come. I've forgotten. And, my, and I look at my investments. I'm, I invested 100000 in January. It's only worth 85000 now. And they start to say, well, this is a terrible investment. I made the wrong investment. And they, and they start to panic. People who've been in the market for the last three to four years, even though the markets have been down this year, are still doing a lot better than they remember interest rates were virtually nothing for the last few years. Now they start comparing it to interest, but there's a big difference. Interest is not to create long-term growth. Interest is to create income or put money for savings, not for growing. So there is a lot of panic that comes in. And people panic when they read the news. I mean, everything is about recession at the moment. We're going into recession. Markets are pricing in recession. Markets are saying, and understand recession. Recession means the technical term of recession. If the country or economy drops in growth, two, two successive quarters. But, you know, you can't keep growing. You know, there's always going to be a period of slowdown and 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 that so we, we get the word recession we think we better get out of the market we better do those type of things don't be guided by economic terms be guided by your investment strategy and the time that you're giving for that investment we're talking finance with brian hirsch the number to dial 86 that's 86 that's where i'll be taking uh, your calls for brian hirsch that we'll get into after the break. On the WhatsApp line, you can send those messages to 0614-104-107. And of course, on Twitter at SFM Radio, the hashtag there, SAFM Talking Point. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. All right, we're talking finance with Brian Hirsch. Brian, by the way, what did you bring us from the Queen? Um, her best regards. <laughs> that is nothing. Actually, no, her best regards are not good enough. Well, you Have know, you seen the state of the economy? You didn't negotiate, you know, better, I don't know what. I stood outside Buckingham Palace. I didn't even get a look in. I kept saying, I'm here from SABC, I'm from SAFM, <laughs> Kathy's program. It, it didn't help. Uh, of course it wouldn't help you with anything. <laughs> Next time you must use a different line. Okay. All right, let me go to Mpo and Mangawung. Mpo, good morning. Good morning, Sis Casey, and good morning, Brian. Morning, Mpo. Uh, Brian, last week I think you were discussing the issue of the the will, uh, the importance of uh, having a will. Yeah. I just want to check with you, man. There's this company called Capital Legacy. Uh, they say they're specializing in helping people with wills. And then at the same time, they offer a policy that covers the cost of the will. 
So I just want to check with you whether do you recommend such a company or well, you know anything about this company? Yeah, look, I, I know they advertise religiously. I, 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 look, let me explain to you. It doesn't matter who draws up your will because once you've drawn up your will, it's your will. Uh, what what a lot of companies do is they draw up wills and they don't charge for that will, but they make th- that you have to appoint them the executor, which means that they could charge up to three three and a half percent plus VAT. So I don't know whether they negotiate lower fees. I know one thing is very simply: if you appoint a family member as an executor, they could go to a company like Capital Legacy and then two things they could do. One is negotiate uh, better fees and lower fees, or maybe Capital Legacy build that in. I don't know. So I can't say they don't, because you know, when you're paying 3.5% VAT, it's over 4% to wind up a, a will. It is laborious. There's a lot of paperwork. So let me say this to all our all our, our listeners, that to have a will, uh, you could appoint a family member who could then appoint a company like Capital Legacy or any other trust company. And also the second advice if they don't do a good job, you can fire them. If you appoint an institution and they don't do a job, there's nothing you can do other than go to the master. You've got no chance getting the master to fire them and you can't and you can't get rid of them. So that's the big advantage. But there's nothing wrong. When you talk about a policy to cover the cost of drawing up the will, no, that doesn't make sense. What they may be saying is we offer you a policy to cover the is the death duties. Now, as you know, a husband leaves assets to a wife, wife to a husband. There are no death duties in South Africa. Death duties only kick in once children receive or any third party receives other than the spouse. Both both individuals get what's called a deduction of three and a half million under what's called Section 4Q. So the first three and a half million of death of any assets are, are not included for um, estate duty. So a husband and wife could leave 7 million to children with no death duty. So they may be doing the calculation of what your ultimate death duties are based on your will, because if you husband to wife, that's fine, but it's going to anyone else, going to a trust, then they may be selling a policy. But I think you can buy that independently. So, you, so firstly, you can ex- explore capital legacy, uh, who's going to be the executor, and then you can explore the cost of the policy they're offering compared to other competitors in the market, and they may be very competitive. But are they reputable companies? Well, that one well can when I talk about reputable, you know, you're talking about someone drawing up a will. That it doesn't, if, if, if anyone can draw up a will, it's who you appoint as the executor. You need to make sure the executor is a reputable company. And if they're young children and they're trustees that are going to look after, they need to be reputable. And the life policy needs to be with a reputable insurance company. There are enough insurance companies that you can buy life insurance for. So let's assume, let me give you an example. You've got, let's say you've got an estate of 10 million. Um, just giving this an example, and seven million, and everything's and seven million is going to the wife. So your estate left over and above that seven million between husband and wife is three million. So the death duties on three million would be six hundred thousand. That's what your debt is. So they may be selling a policy to cover that 600000 although you have to also include in that policy because that's an asset in your estate. So you may have to actually increase that policy to around about 750000 to take into account the debt. Now, you could buy that from a company, and there you want a brand. You want to know the name of the companies, from the Mutuals to the Liberties to the Sunlums to all the different insurance companies, if you're a smoker, a non-smoker, and those type of things. But so when you talk about repeat, 
reputable. Reputable. If they're going to be the executor, then you need to do, you need to do some some due diligence yourself. Uh, I'm sure they've been around. They advertise a lot. I don't know who they are, but you, but it's only when you appoint them as as the executor that you need to understand that you need to understand who they are. But you know, you can go to an attorney, and the attorney can become the executor, and that uh, you don't even know that. You know, you, you would expect the attorney to be reputable, but the master does take control. Remember, when you're drawing up a will, oh, sorry, when you're winding up an estate, you have to report to the master. And an, est- and an account is open in the estate's name, not in any way. It will never be opened up in, in, for example, Capital Legacy's name. It'll be opened up in the estate of the individual. A uh, bank account would be opened with a reputable bank, and all assets would go in there, and the master, the, the executor has to report to the master. So I've gone a little bit further than your question, but I think mm, it is important yeah. for anyone who's, who, by the way, if you don't have a will, get a will drawn up next week, I think it is, or two weeks' time. The attorneys are doing free wills. You can go online and say, see who's doing free wills, and I suggest that as many of you who don't have a will, it's an opportunity and also an opportunity for you because you should be re-looking at your will at least once every two years. Now, the, 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 that policy, in other words, it's not really uh, a significant thing that one would have to sort of take in terms of covering the cost of uh, unbundling the will. Yeah, no, it may be because you may have, you know, you may have, you know, the, the beauty of a policy is liquidity. Let's say someone has got a property of seven million and they die and they leave it to their children. Your children are going to have to go and find money to pay death duties. Uh, and 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 if you know, and there, if you don't have liquidity, you only have the property. You may be forced to sell the property or raise a bond. You may not even be able to raise a bond. So liquidity in a state is very important. The easiest way of creating liquidity for your family is a life policy. It's also probably at the younger ages the cheapest way of doing it. But you've got to do those calculations. But it doesn't have to be linked to anyone drawing up a will. You can do it independently, uh, getting that advice. But it, it's not about what they what they offer. Does doesn't sound bad. Okay. Thank you very much, Brian. Pleasure, Mpah. All right, all right Mpah. Thank you, Kathy. No, no problem, Mpah, out in Mangawung. Uh, we'll, we'll take uh, our other caller after the 10.30 news headlines. Brian, I just wanted to, to ask you again on this issue of um, the costs for the executive of estates, right? You speak about 4%, I think it is. Is that figure negotiable? Not, they, there's no, if, if you appoint an institution mm. and it says we will be the executor and we will take the fee based on the tariff and now you've died, you've actually given permission for tariff and tariff is 3.5% plus VAT, which works just at slightly above 4%. In other words, if your husband alternatively the wife is appointed executor or one of the one of the children who's a bit responsible and they then go to that same company the same bank and say right my father mother has died i want to negotiate with you uh, to wind up the estate you could come in at two percent because you've got the negotiating ability but once you've po- uh, once you've appointed an institution a trust company a bank then depending on the clause of that executorship but it usually says a tariff and the tariff is three and a half percent so the only person you could negotiate is now in the in the grave so uh, that's what you're going to pay that's why i always say have that flexibility so so effectively it's difficult to negotiate with certain institutions 
like banks, especially after somebody has passed away? No, not if you're the executor, because they they now want the business. They're now negotiating arm's length for the business. But at the moment, in their their vaults, they've got thousands of wills which have said they're going to be the executor, and Mm -hmm. that's the tariff. Mm -hmm. So... You don't have that ability. Your family doesn't have the ability to negotiate. Can they charge more no. than that 4%? No, the tariff is set by the master, 3.5% plus VAT. Okay. It's 3.5% plus VAT that comes over 4. Mm. So your ability to negotiate is if you've appointed an executor and the master won't allow that executor because they don't have the skills. So then you can go. I mean, I've been negotiating some uh, wills now at 1.75, 1.8, 2.1. Oh, that's to, amazing. Yeah, to, with the institution, not that I'm going to let, let, let the, the experts wind up the state. It's laborious. It's a lot of paper. Okay. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. It's time for your 10.30 news headlines. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. Well, we're still talking finance with Brian Hirsch. The studio line is 086-000-2032. Let me go to Valcom. Morajani, good morning. Hi. I'm fine. How are you? Morajani, just try and speak a little bit louder for me. We're struggling to hear oh, you. Okay. I just wanted to ask Brian. Mm. A man of 73 years, is it advisable for that person to invest Again, or am I now overaged or what? Mm. Any kind of to invest in any kind of investment, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 is maybe how is it advisable and how long must I take it until three years? Okay. So, so Brian, did you hear that? Question? Yeah, I did hear the question, but let me ask you the question if you're still there. Um, are you looking for income or do you not need income? Have you got sufficient pension? Are you looking for long-term growth? What are you looking for out of that investment? Actually, as a previous old a short term, which financial institution is the best? Okay, when you're looking short-term, you're going to be looking for income. Because if yes. you're looking short term, you're saying to yourself, I want to have the capital handy. I want to maybe have access to the capital. I don't want to take any risks. But you don't need to take risks at 73. Look, let me say, let me answer this in two parts. There are a lot of 73-year-olds who don't need income. And, you know, the, the, two, the two challenges ahead, the first is inflation, and we're seeing what inflation is doing to us, and the second is longevity. You don't know how long you're going to live. And people are running out of money. No one ever expected to live into the 90s. I mean, I had three clients who last year turned 100, and unfortunately all three of them healthy died this year at 101. I've got another client turning 100 in, on the 10th of November. So what I'm trying to say, you don't know how long you're going to live. So if, you're gonna, if, you're, if your objective is... I, I've got enough money for the moment, but I need to grow my capital to beat inflation in case I'm going to live. You're going to take an element of growth investments. But someone's got to sit down and do a plan with you. But if you're looking for income, I mean, I just mentioned um, a government bond today, a five-year government bond is paying 11%. That's a that's unbelievable 11%. But remember, it's taxable. So for a lot of people in their 70s who don't have any tax to pay, an 11% gross return is what I've always said, what is the net return? What tax do you pay on that 11%? Well, someone who hasn't got a taxable income, 11% is far higher than inflation. So you are beating inflation. But if you're taking a 10 or 15-year time horizon, you want to have some spread between growth assets where you don't draw income from 
and part assets where you do. So you you so I'm going round about saying you need to sit down with a planner who can have a look at your situation, what your income requirements are, not because you feel nervous. You know, I've always said a good general takes you where you want to be. That's where you want to be. A great general takes you where you ought to be. Well, a top financial advisor understanding your circumstances will take you where you ought to be, spelling out the risks in the short term. But in the long, cool. in, but so I hope that helps. So if you need income, Income, certainly look at government bonds. The banks are also offering good rates of return. Always remember the word compound interest. That means when I get interest at the end of the year and I reinvest, am I getting interest on interest or just on my capital? That's an important component of any interest-paying investment and then determine your asset allocation. Okay. So, so, so you uh, All right. Th- thanks for that, so Mohajan. All Thank right. Th- thanks for Thank that you. and all the best. Eh? So so just go have a chat. Uh, try and find a p- financial planner, uh, somebody who can actually make help you make the right um, decision. Okay. Kathy, Kathy, the banks all have financial planning organizations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whereas previously one was very nervous about banks, but today we're all governed by FASE, which is the Financial Advisory Intermediary Services Act, mm-hmm. which has a few very important components. One, understand your customer. Mm. Understand their needs. Make sure any investment you offer them is appropriate to their requirements. And we all have to live by those those various um, standards. So even if you, you know, people were reluctant to talk to the banks, but you know, all they mm. all over the country. It's, the it's bank- because by and large, people get such bad service from banks, Brian. And 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 generally, banks often make their clients feel like. They're doing them a yeah. favor, but the financial advice. Look, I'm, I'm, I've got no vested interest in, in, in sure, you know, sure. you know. I mean, there are lots of fun. Go to the FPI, the Financial Planning Institute. But mm-hmm. remember, the the the, 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 ins- the the investment arm of a bank deals differently. They have different t- individuals mm-hmm. because I can tell you, you think you get bad service in South Africa. I try to do some banking in the UK. Let me tell you. Good to be back in South Africa. Good to be back with our banks in South Africa. <laughs> I don't want them to hear you too loudly. Why? Let me take one WhatsApp voice note. It's all we'll have time for before I have to let you go, Brian. SMP. Hi, Aussie. This is Becky from KZN. Can you please ask for me, uh, Brian, um, if I invested, you know, the if I used that threshold of less than... 36,000 per annum, which is which should be uh, not taxed. The gains, the interest that I generate out of that investment, if that investment um, interest is more than 36,000, do they, do they tax it? If they do tax it at what threshold or do they not tax it at all? Let's say, for instance, I make an investment and I make a killing. Will government come for, for that interest that I generated out of my out of my own investments that is not taxed. Okay, well, I, I wasn't, I'm, I, I'm not sure about, I think there's two parts to that question. Part one, you said, if I buy a tax-free investment and I make a killing in that tax-free investment, there is no tax. That's the beauty of the tax-free investment. If person A makes an investment in a tax-free investment and earns dividends and earns interest and there's capital gains on that portfolio, there is no tax. 
if I kept person B now buys an investment not in a tax-free investment and, and has the same returns but in a non-tax-free investment, they will pay the taxes. Mm. And the saving is anything up to 20%. So you're not going to make a killing in a, in a tax-free investment. But if you go and do it separately and you make a killing, you will pay capital gains tax if it's subject to capital gains. Remember, sometimes revenue can say, this was not capital gains tax, this was actually income and I'm going to tax you as income. So you've got to understand your tax situation. If you do it so often you could be declared a dealer and therefore you'll pay tax at normal rates. So, but under tax, I think the question was under a tax free investment up to 36,000 Rand a year, up to at this stage a maximum of 500,000 Rand in your lifetime, there is no tax paid within that investment. So, so, Brian, are you saying that once that money moves out of the tax free savings account, it then doesn't enjoy the benefit? Correct. All right. I think that answers the question clearly. Okay, your contact numbers, details? 011-880-4888. Remember, I've just been away for a week, so a little bit behind. Uh, be patient. And, and, you know, if it is urgent and really urgent, then please use the, ur- the word urgent so I can go to that one. Kathy, have a lovely week. Look forward <laughs> to seeing you next week. I've got a question here for you, Brian. Um, it says, Brian, you cannot leave us with the last comment. Please elaborate why you're happy to be back. Is, is it for the solidarity of financial management? Well, I can only tell you things. Our, our financial services, our financial structures are very sophisticated. They really are. Do you know that in the UK you can hardly spend cash now? It's all credit card. So let me tell you, when you p- use a credit card, you're paying a lot more mm-hmm. for that currency as compared to cash. So I can tell you, but why I made that statement is because you can still go into a bank. You can still talk to someone in the UK. You want to talk to someone, you're talking to a machine. I, I can't imagine what it was like, Brian, especially Kathy, given the difficulties you Kathy, had. Kathy, go into a shop, go to Tesco's, go to any of those stores which compared to the pick and pay checkers. Mm-hmm. There's one till for cash and there's 25 tills for cards. So people can shop. Maybe convenient, maybe coming to South Africa. But to me, that's not service. Not, not service at all. All right. Brian Hirsch, let's leave it there for today. Coming up next is uh, Lionel Makukotlela. Today we're focusing on being blacklisted. What can you do when you have been blacklisted? What is the best way to navigate your way um, out of that situation. Of course, part of it includes a long wait, but Lionel will just give us some of the processes that we as consumers are entitled to.